couple of years ago, we were filming a program called Names of God. And basically, we were going through uh, uh, the names of God that mentioned in the Old and New Testament. And uh, this time, we were filming in Cyprus. And uh, one of the episodes entitled, The Lord is Our Shepherd. So it was appropriate to ask the director that the location where we are going to film would be a sheep farm. So that uh, the sheep and the farm will act as the background to uh, illustrate the stories and the teaching about Jesus being the Good Shepherd. The director went and asked the uh, person who is responsible for scouting the places to get us a farm. So uh, uh, he found one and he tacked it in his uh, do sheet. And uh, the first day of filming, the director was taking us and he lost his way. The direction were not clear at all. So after turning here and there and we had uh, an interesting um, view of the countryside. However, our uh, time was clicking and we were worried. Uh, then he had to stop and call the man responsible for the scouting to come and fetch us and take us to the farm. So we arrived late, but I looked from distance and I said to John, uh-uh, we have a problem here. It was a goat farm, not a sheep farm. And that was extremely difficult because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep, not the goat herder. So once again, it was uh, a bit of a stressful moment. The director said, Maggie, don't worry, uh, we will go to plan B. And with some creative ideas, uh, going to uh, uh, find other uh, locations in the, uh, later on to film the sheep. Um, sometimes we plan, but uh, the execution and uh, what we see on reality is something completely different. By, contracts, uh, by contrast, here we have the, uh, in the Gospel, Mark tells us about the story of the two disciples uh, that Jesus sent his instructions, uh, his instructions to them were clear and accurate. And as the prophets hundreds of years ago prophesied about it. So come with me to that passage uh, in Mark chapter 11 to look through uh, some of these um, uh, elements here. There are lots of teaching, and I must say that I was struggling to condense everything in half an hour. Normally, that will take three different sermons if we wanted to give justice uh, to the text. But uh, just briefly, I wanted to say that the passages from 11 to 13, uh, when you read them, you cannot uh, uh, fail to realize that here is Jesus pronouncing judgment. And that is appropriate because the section after that from uh, 13 onward to the end talks about the passion of Christ, his death, uh, and his resurrection as well. So uh, from beginning of chapter 11, let's come together. And I would like to share with you three brief uh, uh, concepts or points. Um, and uh, my points are 
this uh, verse 1 to 11, the procession, uh, verses 12 to 21, the punishment, verses 22 to 24, the promise. So let's start together. Verses 1 to 11, the procession. Well, the Passover is approaching. And here, uh, following from chapter 10, we see the Lord Jesus Christ has left Jericho after healing uh, the blind man Bartimaeus. And uh, now he's in the way to Jerusalem. He's coming from the east, uh, from Jericho toward uh, Jerusalem. And now the Passover is one of uh, the most important uh, feasts that the Jewish people celebrate. It is the feast where they remember uh, the mighty deeds of God to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. They would remember uh, the Passover lamb uh, they ate uh, uh, in a hurry, um, roasted with fire, and how they um, sprinkled the blood of the lamb uh, on the lintel and the doorposts to protect their firstborn uh, children from the destroying angel. They remember how did God parted uh, the, the, the Red Sea for them to cross uh, to the other side. With their own eyes, they have seen uh, the enemy, the Egyptian army, drowning in the Red Sea, and they saw their destruction. And today, as they go to celebrate uh, the Passover feast, they are thinking, they are now under the, the, uh, the rule of the Romans. Uh, they are not free, so people would remember the beauty of the past and the pain of the present. As they uh, approach uh, uh, Jerusalem, uh, we find that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in his way going as well uh, to Jerusalem and stopping in Bethany first. Mark tells us that Jesus sent two disciples to prepare his transportation. I find it quite interesting that Jesus walked all the way from Jericho until two miles before he reached reaches uh, uh, Jerusalem at Bethany, sending two of his disciples to get uh, his transportation. I uh, gave them instructions, very clear, very precise, even the discussion with the neighbors of the donkey's owner. And uh, now the disciples were successful. They came back with the donkey for Jesus to ride on it, and we have the procession. Jesus is riding, his disciples walking around him, and multitudes coming down from the Mount of Olives, uh, reaching uh, Jerusalem. And in that procession, we see uh, excitement, we see uh, singing, we see uh, uh, people are very happy that they are singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in, uh, in the name of the Lord. But before we continue, we ask a question, why did Jesus choose this time to be among the crowd? If you turn your gospel to chapter 1 and you read through, you find that um, uh, Jesus went to pray, and then Peter coming to him, verse 37, and saying, Jesus, uh, the whole crowd wanting you. And Jesus said, well, no, no, let's go somewhere else. He always was trying to avoid the crowd. So why? 
Why now there is something different? Why now did Jesus change his tactic? Why now did Jesus chose to be among the people? Well, Jews are from everywhere. Every land in Israel were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. We can say that uh, all eyes were directed at him. Normally, people are walking uh, toward Jerusalem, and he's the only one who's riding the donkey. Why is that? Because the king has arrived. In the same way that Zechariah, the prophet, prophesied about him 500 years earlier. He said this in Zechariah 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. The king has arrived. John and I went for a visit to uh, Algeria, and uh, uh, we were going to attend a service in the northern part of Algeria in the area called Kabylia. And uh, that uh, uh, church service, uh, we were told that it has a baptismal service also. So we were excited to go to be in a church to worship the Lord with uh, believers from North Africa, from uh, 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 the Kabylie part. And we witnessed baptism of 57 new believers, all from a Muslim background. It was fantastic. However, when we arrived there, we saw the streets were spotless clean. Uh, we saw uh, flags everywhere. We saw the pavement even painted. And I thought, wow. Did they do that for the new converts and the new uh, believers in Christ Jesus? And uh, one of the pastors laughed and he said, no, no uh, don't expect that will be the norm. We just had a visit from the president. Uh, so that's why they cleaned everything and they prepared for him. But, uh, but now the president has gone and the streets is empty again, though clean. So here we have Jesus is coming the procession with him, and people are shouting for joy. But there is something sad here. Israel did not recognize its king. The crowds could shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, but I guess that they do that every single year as they go to uh, the, the, the temple. You see, the anticlimax, uh, we see it in verse 11. You read that Jesus was alone with his disciples in the temple. Well, the crowd thought that Jesus is truly something, someone who's unique. They were admiring his teaching. They were amazed by his miracles. But they were expecting someone militarily to come to overthrow the Romans. They did not expect someone like him, meek and lowly, coming riding on a donkey. We wanted a hero. We wanted a warrior. Jesus, you don't look like one. So therefore, we are not interested. But you see, Jesus came for a different mission. He came to die. He came to deliver people from inside, to inaugurate a new covenant by his blood, to establish an eternal kingdom. He wanted all Jerusalem to notice that. 
He wanted to draw the attention of the rulers, uh, the priests, the elders, uh, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, uh, the Greek, the Romans, and us too. Because he wanted to mark this time that it is the most significant event in the history of mankind when, uh, when uh, it would take uh, um, place in a few days. The servant king, the eternal son of God would suffer instead of sinful men. The true lamb uh, of the Passover would be slain for the sake of delivering people from the bondage of sin and Satan. The crowd were singing from Psalm 118, and this psalm is talking about a sacrifice and an altar. And the Lord Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. His cross was that altar. Therefore, Jesus chose that his death would be before the eyes of the whole world to know, to know something about his salvation, that in him, all the prophets and the prophecies were, were fulfilled. The king is here. Now let me pause and ask a question. What do you think of Christ? Who do you think he is? Is he your king? Or is he someone far away from you? Do you submit to him and to his lordship, his kingship? Can you say to him, you are my king? What is your relationship with him? Is it on a daily basis that you commune with him in your quiet time as you pray? And as you listen to him speaking to you through, through his word? Or just only when you come to church on a weekly basis? Or from time to time? Or when the crisis uh, 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 come your way? Does the joy of Christ appear in your daily basis? When people see you in your normal activities, can they see Christ in you? Uh, we went to visit uh, a friend uh, in uh, an elderly home, and uh, we were sitting there and chatting, and suddenly one of the uh, uh, workers came about, and she said, Oh, do you know this person? Long time. Uh, we said, Yes. Uh, is she always positive like this? Is she, she, she doesn't seem to be getting angry at all. Even when we change the places where she sits or we uh, tell her that uh, things have changed, the plans and so on, she's always kind, smiling, and at peace. The king is here. Now let's move uh, uh, quickly because I don't want the time to take us... Uh, uh, and uh, come to, to the second part, uh, the punishment, verses 12 to 21. Verse 11, we see Jesus looking around in the temple and then retreating with his disciples to Bethany, probably to the house of Martha and Maria, Miriam and their brother uh, Lazarus. And there he spent the night. Uh, you can imagine an entourage of 13 people going crashing at the house of Mary and Martha. And in the morning, perhaps they left uh, early in the morning to reach the temple. Perhaps they did not have a time to have their cooked breakfast. Uh, and in the way, Jesus felt hungry. You can imagine that. You see, this is one, another evidence on the humanity of Jesus. On the gospel, we read that he 
was hungry, that he was thirsty, that he was tired, that he went to sleep. Even he was sad to cry in a funeral of his friend. You see, Jesus was a complete man like us. He was a complete human being like us. He shared in all of our human experiences except sin. Remember uh, an old friend, uh, he was complaining all the time uh, that uh, he hears his wife crashing about in the kitchen, he says. And he said, she breaks glasses everywhere and uh, I am proud that I have not broken any glasses at all. And his wife came from the kitchen and she was smiling and she said, of course you didn't because you've never been in the kitchen. (laughs) The writer of the Hebrews uh, wrote about Christ saying this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. But Christ was not just only a man. He is God in the same time. Before this event, we see him uh, feeding the multitude with five loaves and two fish. We see him silencing the, 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 the storm with a word. He raised a dead person after his body was decaying. Jesus is fully God and fully man. At the side of the road, Jesus saw a fig tree and with very lush green leaves. So he went to search for fruit. He was hungry. He didn't find any. So he cursed the fig tree. Matthew, record that story, tells us that the tree uh, uh, withered from the roots immediately. Mark tells us that Peter discovered that the tree has withered uh, on the following day. Some people reading this passage, they find it difficult. Why would Jesus curse a fig tree? Uh, Especially if he knows that, uh, as the translation we read here, it was not the season for figs. Well, you see, I love figs very much. I came from the Middle East. And uh, in the Middle East, we have lots of fig trees. It's like in Israel, uh, exactly, because of the warm climate. Uh, The fig tree uh, could produce twice its crops, once perhaps at uh, uh, early April, and uh, the lush, the the, the main uh, harvest would be in end of August, September. Very big, brown, juicy fig tree. Fig, And now you'll ask, what's going on here? Well, one fact about the fig tree is the fig does not have blossom. The fruit, uh, the, the blossom itself in, grow inside the fruit. And that gives the fig that grainy texture. Therefore, when uh, the fruit uh, comes, it's always accompanied by, by the leaves. Uh, the evidence of green leaves it shows that there must be fruit as well, even if this fruit was hard and uh, unripened. I think the translation here perhaps is misleading, and it would be much better to say that it was not the time of gathering the fig yet. So when Jesus went there to check 
on that tree, he did not see any evidence of any fruit, even the hard, green, uh, unripened uh, uh, figs. So he cursed the tree. We will see later why was that. Then Jesus continued uh, his journey to the temple, and that would be Monday. And there he turned over the, the, the tables, he stopped this commercial business that uh, is, is, is taking place. Uh, he, he caused havoc and confusion. But why? Why would you do that? Why do you go and disrupt the whole business? Uh, after all, these people are serving the temple and offering the sacrifices that God is required. Well, the temple has a courtyard and in that courtyard, it's called the Court of the Gentiles. It was the only place that uh, the non-Jewish people can be there to come to worship. But because of the need for the animals to be sacrificed, the location for the market has changed. And instead of having the market outside the gates of the city uh, on the Mount of Olives, uh, where people can buy their animals that they are going to sacrifice and take it to the temple, people felt that it's more convenient to have the market close by so that they can have access to these animals quickly. Just to give you an idea about the size of the numbers of uh, um, sacrifices that it was needed, Josephus, the historian, uh, recorded that in the year 66, he witnessed during the Passover the need for 255,000 lambs to be offered as sacrifices. So you can understand that you need place to put this vast number of herds. You need uh, a place for uh, changing the currency from the uh, Roman currency to the shekel, the Jewish shekel. So time coming closer and this animal took the place that was supposed for the Gentiles the, in the court of the Gentiles to come to worship. So here we see Israel failed to be a blessing to the Gentiles. Imagine the place where you are coming to stay in to pray. You find it occupied by sheep and goats and so on. Israel failed to communicate the love of God to others, especially those who are Gentiles, those who are foreigners. One of my friends, he's from Algerian background, uh, he's uh, from a Muslim background. Uh, in his teenage years, he was fascinated by the Christian faith. And in France, uh, uh, he was able to um, spot a Christian bookshop. And there he said that I can go there and I can ask them to help me to know more about the Christian faith. So he picked up the carriage and went into that uh, bookshop and uh, uh, went to the person who's in charge. And uh, he said, um, uh, excuse me, uh, could you help me? I wanted to know more about Christianity. Uh, I am from a Muslim family, but uh, I'm interested to know about Christ. Uh, the lady looked at him and she said, <clears throat> Uh, this is a Christian bookshop, by the way, and um, uh, in order for me to help you, uh, our rules is that you get us a letter of um, uh, recommendation from someone who knows you. And he looked at her and said, um, 
a letter of recommendation from where would I get this? And uh, she didn't help him. Uh, it took years for him to get over this bad experience. Let's listen to part of Solomon's prayer in the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. He said this, As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, when they come and pray towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may, uh, they, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. You see, from that principle, the Lord Jesus quoting Isaiah 56 in verse 17, we read him saying, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You see, the two events, the cursing of the fig tree and the clearing and the cleansing of the temple will serve together as illustration for a key and one lesson, very important. God requires fruit. Unfruitfulness and barrenness entail curses and punishment. The fig tree was a type of Israel. We know that in Scripture, uh, the fig tree, the olive tree, and the vine are representative of Israel. And in the Bible, we see many, many, many warnings for not being fruitful, not being the, that what, which God is required. We see John the Baptist is, 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 uh, is writing. He says this, the axe has been laid to the root of the, of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. When Jesus was cleansing the temple, he was declaring judgment over old Israel and its religion that the temple with its current condition would come to an end. And sure enough, 40 years later, the temple was destroyed. The lesson for us is, do we have fruit to present? Do we show a true repentance towards God? Do we have this, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes in Galatians? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Maybe you say, well, I don't, uh, I don't think of these things. I'm a good person. And uh, I want to tell you this. Unless you produce good fruit, the axe has been laid to the root of the tree. Uh, a few years back, we were filming, the first time when we started filming, uh, um, we had a North African uh, lady come to work with us, and we had also someone from the Middle East working uh, with us. Uh, every time we have a team, it's a combination of Eastern and Western from different regions of the Arab world, and uh, uh, culture can be different, and we have to be very sensitive to one another. However, this North African lady was uh, very harsh, with her friend from, uh, from the Middle East, and she was upset. So uh, we went to her and said, uh, 
the, the, this Syrian lady was hurt by you. Uh, you said these harsh words to her. Uh, don't you think that it's time now to go and make peace with her and, and just... Uh, 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 we are all tired and we need just someone to work together. So please go and say, I'm sorry. And she said, no, I haven't done anything wrong. She should accept me the way I am because God accepts me the way I am. And it took us a long time trying to work through this. But you see, we need to present forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit is very important. Otherwise, the judgment. Now we come to the third and final part from verse 22, and I stop at verse 24, the promise. Once again, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, left with his disciple at the end of the day, uh, the temple, and went to Bethany to spend the night. And in the morning, early in the morning, repeated the same, uh, uh, the same habit again, uh, that is Tuesday morning, he was coming back to the temple. Peter immediately noticed uh, the fig tree and said, Lord, <laughs> look at the tree. It's withered from, 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 from the root. Surely your word is true that no one will eat the fruit of the fig tree uh, from this tree anymore. And once again here we see the authority of Jesus. Just one word uh, and the tree withered. He is, he is not just an ordinary man. He is not just a rabbi or a good uh, reformer. He is the almighty God himself. Jesus took this opportunity to teach the disciples another important lesson about prayers. He said, if we wanted to receive from God an answer for our prayers, we must first believe in God. I always find it uh, amazing, uh, especially when I watch TV uh, some characters in media, uh, they come and they present themselves very confidently and saying that we don't believe in God. But then you hear of an earthquake or a, a hurricane or a, a mudslide in some area and lots of devastation. And then they come and say, well, uh, this is the act of God. Well, is it that God does exist or God doesn't exist? If God doesn't exist, how could you say that this is the act of God? Well, you have to make up your mind. Does God exist? And if he exists, what is your relationship to him? But then Jesus said to them that you must believe in God, have faith in God. Now the next question would be, what does faith mean? Egypt is a very interesting country. And driving in Egypt can be uh, an experience indeed. And uh, one time I was uh, uh, late for my appointment, so I stopped a taxi and I said to him, by the way, I need to be at the train station in, it was 20, 25 minutes, could you get me there? And the driver looked at me with a big smile and the thumb up and said, hop in, so have faith. So I just uh, got in the car and he was driving like a crazy person, going through the lanes and chasing, but the, the traffic were really heavy. And as a result, we were late and I lost my appointment. So what is faith? Is faith a leap in the darkness? Uh, what do we mean by having faith exactly? No, faith is not leap in the darkness. Otherwise, it is gambling. We must know something about the object of our faith. 
What and who is the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So what does the Lord Jesus Christ tell us about himself in this very passage? Well, we learn this. We learned that he is the true king. He is the savior. He is the true man. He is fully God who has authority over his creation. And he is requiring us to be fruitful. As I read scripture, I find that the Lord Jesus Christ is being quoted by John in John 15 in a very well-known passage, the true vine. And it's all about fruitfulness as well. This is what Jesus said to his disciple. If you remain in me and I knew, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Faith in God means faith in Christ, trusting him, trusting in his salvation plan for you and for me. Faith in God means trusting in God's guidance, trusting in the way he leads our lives, meaning that we remain in him as he remains in us. Faith in God means that we know him personally. Uh, we, we, we spend time with him. We model our lives on his life, our deeds, our actions to be like his. I remember a friend of mine, uh, we were in the car together and we were talking about uh, conversions within the families, our families. And he said to me, you know, Maggid, I know exactly when my father was converted. I said, really, when was that? He said, when he stopped breaking the speed limit. For him, this was the time I should be a good citizen. Now, do we have fruit to prove our faith? Are we remaining in Christ? Christ is saying to them, to the disciples and to us, and I would want to leave that with you, that if you know God, if you remain in him, if you are connected with him, you can do miracles, even as to take the Mount of Olives, this olives in front, and say to it, go and throw yourself in the sea and it will be. This is an impossibility. But there is nothing impossible in prayers. If you are facing a challenging situation, a no way out situation by the human eyes, it is the place where you can come to God in faith to trust him. But you need to know him. You need to have this rapport with him. You need to call him father, and he calls you son. Do you trust in Christ, the true king? Is he the source of your confidence? Is he your passport to heaven, or you are depending on some other ways? Well, it is possible when you trust in the Lord, when you remain in him, when you are his and he's yours, that when you pray, that God answers your prayers and, you give, and he gives you what you ask for. Why? Because your will and his will become closer together, become in tune together with one another. You can see the time is rushing now, and I would like to spend a minute in prayer. Let's pray. King Jesus, we enthrone you on our lives. 
you are God and you are to be worshipped and to be praised. We thank you for this passage to know that you went steadily to the cross to die for us, to set us free from the bondage of sin and to set us free to worship you, free indeed. We thank you that on the cross you said it is finished and by your resurrection you have proved that the uh, 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 divine justice has been satisfied, that we truly can be forgiven and can enjoy eternal life with you, assured from here and now on this earth. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us every possibility to grow in knowing you and to love you and to uh, be imparted by your Holy Spirit to produce in us fruit that would last. Help us, Lord. I speak uh, for each and every one of us here tonight that you will give us the eye to see where we need to develop and to pray, asking you to help us to have joy, to have love, to have patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control in our lives. Gracious Lord, we thank you that so many times you give us warnings uh, that we should heed. So I pray, Lord, if there is anything we need to confess and to ask for your forgiveness. And help us, Lord, as the disciples uh, asked you, uh, increase our faith. Help us, Lord, as we spend time with you, that you speak to our hearts. And as we think, Lord, of mission, as we think of uh, the old Israel and the failing to be the instrument of God's love, help us, Lord, uh, to show friend, friendship, to show kindness to those who are strangers, those who are foreigners, those who have not yet uh, learned about the love of God and the plan of salvation he has prepared for them, that they may come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and be part of his flock. Gracious Lord, we pray uh, that you will be pleased to present us with divine opportunities to talk about your love to someone else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.